Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. When we invite God into our world, He walks in. He brings a host of gifts, joy, patience, resilience. Anxieties come, but they don't stick. Fears surface and then depart. Regrets land on the windshield, but then comes the wiper of prayer. There's still stones of guilt, but we turn and give them to Christ. We are wired with energy. We are happier, healthier, and more hopeful than we have ever been. Struggles come for sure, but so does God. Prayer is not a privilege for the pious, not the art of a chosen few. Prayer is simply a heartfelt conversation between God and his children. He wants to talk with you. We meet now in the Archbishop's Corner, where Archbishop Leonard Blair helps us enter into that conversation with God as we search out the truth and we find the right way to faith. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for sharing some time with us in the Archbishop's Corner. Jesus taps at the door. We open it and let the conversation begin. How are you today? Very well, thank you. Well, I understand you brought along a guest. Can you introduce your guest to us? Yes, I'm very happy that uh, Monsignor James Shanley is uh, with me today uh, and this time after Easter. And um, he uh, is vicar for clergy, and he's also been intimately involved in pastoral planning. I'm, I'm sure he'll be able to add uh, some uh, some interest and some new dimension to uh, to the program today. Now, uh, let me just ask you, uh, Monsignor Shanley, vicar for clergy, can you briefly describe what that means for people that, that might not be familiar with that term? Well, I work with all the priests and all the deacons, the clergy of the Archdiocese of Hartford, in conjunction with Archbishop Blair in determining placements or assignments, and also the life of parishes and the staffing of parishes, as we talk about disciples during this Easter season, how we make more disciples. And in an age when we have decreasing numbers of clergy and many are advancing in age, how we make sure that our parishes are well-staffed and disciples continue to be formed. Sounds and good. I might add too that, that in, in conjunction with uh, uh, the clergy, that also involves uh, pastoral planning. You know that Monsignor Shanley has been involved in this very intimately uh, since I've been Archbishop all these years. And although that's not his primary focus now, there are other people uh, involved in that task more directly. But certainly from the point of view of the placement of clergy and, and such, uh, he's, he's very much a part of that still. So in conjunction with you, Archbishop, Monsignor Shanley would make a recommendation to you in terms of the staffing of a particular parish by a priest, by a priest or priests? Well, I'll let him answer that. Yes, that would be the case after consultation and deliberation and study with what we call the personnel board. The personnel board of the archdiocese currently is made up of the seven deans, the dean from each deanery, and then the three Episcopal vicars, along with Bishop Betancourt, uh, Father Bogoslowski, and myself. So we discuss the various needs, the priest personalities, their strengths, areas they could improve in, where they might fit best. And then we also talk about how many parishes are actually in existence and how many we really need. Is there consultation with the parishioners themselves of the parish to ascertain the needs of the particular needs of the parish as you make a recommendation for assignment? There would be. We try to do it, you know, on a proactive basis. That doesn't always work. But many times it's rather reactive because the priest is approaching retirement age and mm. certain changes have to be made. Hopefully, as this goes farther and farther into the future, 
will be able to make more proactive planning decisions rather than react to retirements and very recently a number of illnesses that change any plan that people put into place. Let me just change gears for a brief moment now, because, Archbishop, you celebrated a birthday this past week, and I'm wondering if you have any words of wisdom for us as you enter upon a new birth year, and maybe what you've learned from the past year, any wisdom to share with us? Well, first, let me say that, uh, you know, dovetailing with uh, Monsignor Shanley's comments, as a priest and bishop, I'm getting older, too. And, uh, you know, I turned 72. Thank God I enjoy sufficient health to, uh, you know, fulfill my responsibilities. But even with bishops, it's part of the general situation of the clergy, making provision for the future. Uh, and, and such, I'm very blessed to have a young auxiliary bishop like Bishop Betancourt, uh, who's a great help. But I would say generally, uh, I, I have to acknowledge that after I turn 70, I'm feeling my age more than I, I used to. I never paid much attention to birthdays. But I have noticed that I'm not uh, the way, quite the way I was. And uh, I always pray for the grace of this and the strength to, to uh, keep going and to do my, uh, you know, what's asked of me, what's required of me really as a bishop. It's, it's interesting that you say that because this coming Saturday, April 24th, we remember the day back in 2005 when Pope Benedict XVI was inaugurated as the 265th Pope of the Catholic Church. And since his resignation in 2013, he holds the unique title of Pope Emeritus. In history, only four other popes have resigned, and Pope Benedict XVI was the first pope since Gregory the Twelfth in 1415 to do so. You mentioned the fact that you're getting older, you're slowing down a bit as you collect the years and as the years go on. Do you envision retiring soon? Well, not soon, but I, <laughs> I mean, God willing, but uh, that I don't have to. But uh, no, I mean, when bishops are asked to submit their uh, letter of resignation when they turn 75, and I certainly fully intend to do that. You know, popes are different, and yet they're not different. A pope is primarily the bishop of Rome, but a very special bishop. And of course, through most of history, this has not been a question because people simply didn't live that long. Uh, but with uh, longevity today, whether it be the Pope or other bishops, again, because the Pope's a bishop too, you know, there, there has to be prudent provision. And that's why when Pope John Paul presided over revising the Code of Canon Law, they made provision in there for the resignation uh, of a Pope. And those canons were invoked when, when Pope Benedict uh, stepped down. This brings up a good question, Monsignor Shanley. As we get older, as priests get older, and we have an aging clergy, I would think it becomes more and more difficult for the assignment of various priests, for the staffing of various parishes, and is one of the reasons why uh, pastoral planning was so important for the archdiocese. Isn't that correct? That is correct. And as you look back over the history of the archdiocese, not all that long ago, if somebody was 70 to 75 in the last years of their active ministry, oftentimes they were pastor of a parish with two or three or even more assistants. Now those same pastors are often alone in a parish of 1,500 or 2,000 families. Archbishop, does this cause you a, a few sleepless nights and headaches? Oh, it does. I mean, uh, it's God's church. It's not Leonard Blair's. But on the other hand, uh, and of course, this is not a phenomenon that's confined to uh, Hartford or to Connecticut. It's a huge problem uh, in uh, the United States, uh, and it's a huge problem in uh, lands of traditional Catholic culture like Europe. You know, I always say, and I don't think I'm, I'm making an excuse here, that the number of priests we have is proportionate to the practice of the faith. I've said this, I'm sure, on the radio before, yeah. that we have enough priests for the people who are actually going to Mass every Sunday and practicing their Catholic faith. 
And that says something like bullseye, you know, uh, right, uh, that we can look at, that that if, if I'm, I am absolutely convinced that if we had more practicing Catholics and not just nominal Catholics, that God would provide for um, for for more priests. But another thing, when I say God provides, you know, we're free human beings. God can call somebody to the priesthood uh, or to being a religious sister, for example. But if they don't have the support of their family uh, and the encouragement of the church community, if they themselves are not formed in the faith with a real appreciation for what these states in life mean, then, uh, you know, God doesn't force people to do things. God calls. So it's it's a very complex picture of uh, not only the, uh, the, it's not just about the priesthood, it's about Catholic family life. Mm-hmm. It's about the number of children that there are today. There, it's about how people of faith are confronting all of their choices in life. How many young people today are not getting married? So it's not just a vocation crisis for the priesthood, but even marriage is in crisis. How many young people are, are many of them are just living alone without, or living together without benefit of marriage? It raises the whole question of, of having children. I mean, these are very deep, serious, spiritual, as well as sociological questions that, that we have to confront with faith and prayer. Well, as we look at the shortage of priests, we see that volunteers in parishes become more and more important, and today is the start of National Volunteer Week, a time to recognize and celebrate the efforts of volunteers at the local, the state, and the national levels. Volunteers are an important part in every single parish, I would think, and other ministries within the Archdiocese of Hartford, the community at large. Talk for a moment, if you would, about the the importance of volunteering in parish life. Well, I'm going to again defer to Monsignor Shanley about this because I think it also enters into the question of effective pastoral planning, uh, which he's, you know, yeah. still in, engaged in from the point of view, particularly of the clergy. But Monsignor, do you want to say something about that? Sure. And I would agree with Father John. We certainly have many, many well-qualified volunteers in our parishes. I'm not sure I'd use the word volunteers in the same sense as somebody might volunteer in a secular uh, business or even in some kind of service agency. But our people volunteer or rather minister because of their call in baptism, that they are called to work side by side with clergy and religious in evangelizing and bringing people to Christ and building up the kingdom of God. So they're not volunteer in a secular sense, but rather they're actually utilizing their baptismal calling and the ministry that God gives them. And when all those ministries are brought together under the direction of the archbishop and the various pastors, then God's church will really flourish. But the priests can't do it alone, nor should they do it alone. I might add that, uh, you know, this is the whole message that popes have been giving ever since the Second Vatican Council and the bishops about being um, uh, evangelizing disciples. Missionary disciples is what is the term that uh, Pope Francis uses, missionary discipleship. So it's about being a disciple, not just a volunteer, uh, that you're giving witness to Christ, building up the body of Christ, and attracting others to, to, to be active and to participate. Let's take a look at our gospel reading for today on this, the third Sunday of Easter. And uh, today's reading is from Luke's Gospel, the 24th chapter. And uh, we'll listen to a dramatic presentation, after which I'll ask both of you to comment on this particular gospel, what we learned from it, and how it should motivate us going forward in the faith. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were saying this, Jesus himself stood among them. Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and supposed that they saw a spirit. Why are you troubled? 
and why do questionings rise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit has not flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and wondered, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. These are my words which I spoke to you, while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Archbishop, what are your thoughts as we hear this gospel account? Well, this is the conclusion of the event on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection. These two disciples told, they ran back to Jerusalem and told the others what had happened, how Jesus had walked with them, unknown to them, with their eyes veiled at first, until they recognized him in the breaking of the bread, which, of course, is the earliest way of speaking of the Holy Eucharist, uh, in which their minds were uh, opened and their eyes to, to recognize him, who he was, and he vanished from their sight. But here they are telling this story, and Jesus himself appears and says, Peace be with you. Uh, and again, that's the most uh, beautiful kind of greeting that could be given, that Jesus, whom these uh, disciples, apostles, had abandoned and even denied and ran away, and, and here Jesus comes in the midst and says, Peace be with you. And he says, you know, why are you troubled? Why do you question? See that it's really me. And he even eats something with them to absolutely emphasize, not that Jesus needed to eat anymore, uh, but the, the reality of his bodily resurrection from the dead. And then, you know, immediately he tells them that, that they're witnesses that have to go out now into the world and uh, to bear witness to the, this, this gospel, this good news, that through the uh, death and resurrection of the Son of God, uh, salvation has come into the world and that people can be reborn in baptism to a new life and that we can all become sharers in eternal life. I think the part about being witnesses is the most important. That's the reason we are disciples. And I think the parishes that survived and flourished during the pandemic are the ones that give the best witness. They witness not only to their own community, but also those parishioners then go out and witness to other people about their faith in Jesus, inviting them to be part of their parish, perhaps, but also meeting the needs of others through various service projects. No, I said a very good point that, uh, you know, uh, that being a believer in Christ does not just mean that you have this private little faith that you hoard kind of for yourself so that you can get to heaven. Honestly, that is part of it. I mean, obviously, our own salvation is part of it. But Jesus makes it clear constantly, it's in the very nature of the church to be missionary, that if you, we say you have to love your neighbor as yourself. What the, you, you're not loving your neighbor if you don't care whether they are close to Christ or whether they believe in Christ or not. So by desiring that they come to, to have this faith and love for, for God and Christ, that's part of, of charity. That's part of what it means to be a follower of the Lord. I'm struck once again, as you were saying, Archbishop, by the first words that Jesus said to those uh, that he appeared to, peace be with you. It seems that where there is Jesus, he brings his peace. What must this tell us about finding peace in our turbulent lives these days? Well, I mean, Jesus said at the Last Supper, uh, my peace I, I give to you, not as the world gives do I give it to you. 
And that is true, that, that true peace, ultimate peace, cannot be found in anything in the world. It, it is a gift of God in Christ. Uh, you know, shalom, peace, he says to those disciples in that upper room. And uh, I, I think until the world learns that, that they can only find that peace that comes from God in Christ, that they're ne- never going to find it. It's an empty, empty search without God. And isn't that piece then part and parcel of what it means to be a contemporary disciple of Jesus, that one brings peace into the lives of other people? So if you're talking about, Monsignor Shanley, life within the parish community, it should be that we are instructed to to be disciples of Christ by bringing peace into the lives of of the, the, the church community. And in order for that to occur, people find peace in their own life first. Before they can be a witness, they have to come to know Jesus themselves find a certain degree of peace in their life, in their marriage, in their life situation, whatever it happens to be. And then by doing that, they can go out and be a witness and bring someone else to that same gift. We're not going to have peace in our streets or in our cities if we can't find it within ourselves first or even in our church. Well, Luke tells us that he opened their minds to the understanding of the Scriptures, that Jesus opened their minds. I've met people today whose minds are so closed that you couldn't possibly pry them open with a jackhammer. They're closed to any talk of God or the moral commitment that comes from believing in Christ. How do you deal with such people? Oh, that's for God to do, you know. Uh, I had one humorous uh, priest say once that you entrust them to the, to the Blessed Mother, that as a, a good mother, she might give them a good kick in the pants, <laughs> that that might, uh, might wake, uh, you know, awaken them uh, to realize where they're at. And I, but, I, but kidding aside, I do think that, you know, entrusting people uh, to uh, Our Lady uh, in situations uh, where, where there, there is this kind of uh, blindness and hardness of heart is a very, a, a very effective spiritual way to deal with it. And of course, always entrusting them to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And I think in terms of parish life, we have to have open minds. Some people act as if their parishes were all established the day Jesus ascended to the Father, and nothing has changed in the last 2,000 years. But we recognize, even in the archdiocese, as suburban growth happened and the population increased and different changes sociologically occurred, that parishes were built that were necessary at the time. And maybe now, 50 years later, they're not necessary. The population shifts. Parishes are growing in other parts of the United States, while they may decreasing in the same percentage as the population here in the state of Connecticut. So we have to have open minds to new parish structures and trying new things to be disciples. And as you're talking about parish structures and, and changes that are made in parishes, do you foresee more changes coming about within the Archdiocese of Hartford, let's say, within the next two years? I would say there's going to be many changes, some of which are necessitated by the decreasing number of clergy, and some are necessitated by aging buildings, and some are just by the number of people that are worshiping. And we'll see what happens after the pandemic as well. But right now we're looking at a municipal model, which was the original model for the church in the Archdiocese of Hartford in the state of Connecticut, where you might at least start with one church in one town. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we look at the larger towns and say, well, if they have one high school, They probably can have one church. If they have multiple high schools, they may need multiple churches based on sheer population. And some of the parishes that grew in in different areas, especially with suburban growth in the late 60s, will come back into one larger community, maybe having multiple campuses, maybe having two churches, but having one parish. Yes, I think that's important to point out that one parish could conceivably, in fact, it's already the case that it has more than one church. Uh, but to have each one be a separate independent parish, uh, given the, the huge gem- demographic changes and also the, uh, the, the number of, of, of practicing Catholics actually going to Mass and the number of priests that we have, 
we have to have some flexibility here. I have no doubt that God is giving us enough priests to be able to say Mass and, and celebrate the sacraments and be good pastors to the number of people who are faithfully practicing their Catholic faith in our archdiocese today. But we can't, you know, and I've said this before, we can't have a priest saying Mass at 8 o'clock for 200 people and at 10 o'clock for 300 people in a church that seats 800 that, that, you know, it, it's amazing to me that when I go around sometimes people say, oh, the church was full. It, well, it's full by today's standards, but it's certainly not the full by the standards when, when you and I were kids, you know, where ushers had to seat people because there was no room or people were standing. So we have to open our eyes to reality and, uh, and God will be with us and help us. But of course, at the root of all of this is the practice of the faith that people actually go to church, re- receive the sacraments, participate in the life of their parish, you know, send their kids to Catholic school. Without that, you cannot just maintain the structures that were created a half century ago. You mentioned churches being full. Well, as of Pentecost, bishops in Colorado have lifted the dispensation from the Sunday obligation to attend Mass because of improvements in the COVID pandemic there. What's the situation in the Archdiocese of Hartford, Archbishop? Yes, well, your question reminds me, when I talk about full churches, as I did a moment ago, I'm talking about a post-pandemic world. Obviously, right now, mm-hmm. we're in a different situation. Well, I am in discussion with the other bishops of Connecticut to talk about this. We've, I think, each issued a, a kind of dispensation from Sunday Mass, and we want, we want to strike the right balance. On the other hand, uh, on the one hand, we don't want to say that you don't have to go to Mass if, if it's possible to go. On the other hand, we want to be very careful about people's safety and health, and that sometimes depends on the person, you know, on your age, your your physical condition. So we, we're we trying to tread lightly here. I don't have anything to say at the moment about what we're going to do, but I'm, I'm con- consulting about that at present. Let's uh, look at some of the questions that have been submitted by our listeners. For instance, Lois from Hartford says, a non-Catholic friend of mine sometimes discusses Catholic beliefs with me, and I have told her about the intense feeling of relief that I get after making a good confession and being absolved. She's Christian, believes that God forgives her sins when she is truly sorry, but has never felt the way I described feeling after confession. She would like to. I know that baptism and marriage are sacraments valid for non-Catholics to receive. We were wondering, are non-Catholics invited to partake of the Sacrament of Reconciliation? Well, Father John, as you know, you, you gave me a heads up about this question yeah. because it's not the kind of question that can that happens every day. So I had an opportunity to do a little research, and uh, I found that in uh, our can- Code of Canon Law, for Church Law, Canon 844 says this, If there's a danger of death or there is some other grave and pressing need, Catholic ministers may lawfully administer the sacraments of penance, Eucharist, and anointing of the sick, to other Christians not in full communion with the Catholic Church, who cannot approach a minister of their own community and who spontaneously ask for these sacraments, provided they demonstrate the Catholic faith in respect of these sacraments and are properly disposed. So, yes, it is possible, but this is only in danger of death. Mm-hmm. Because we would say, well, if a person truly believes in the uh, sacrament of penance instituted by Christ given to the Church, then they really ought to think about being in, uh, entering into full communion of the Catholic Church. And we have to respect the fact that their church that they belong to, the faith they subscribe to, does not provide for that. But in this case that I've just given, in, in danger of a time of death, if somebody under the conditions that I just read uh, asked a priest for this, the priest would be free to, uh, to, to provide it. Supposing the, the, the person were not in a condition to make that request, could the priest still administer the anointing of the sick, for instance? 
Well, you're, those are theoretical questions. I, I don't think we normally would do that. And I want to emphasize, this is out of respect for the conscience of the person. Mm-hmm. You know, the Church uh, teaches that there are seven sacraments instituted by Christ. Protestant churches uh, do not accept uh, all seven sacraments. And so you don't you don't say, well, oh, okay, we're going to give this to you, even though it's not part of your faith. That That's not... You know, it's a matter of 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 what of what you believe. So I think, uh, but in a case where a person does say that they they personally believe this and they want it, and and they're in that situation, which obviously is exceptional, then then a priest could do it. If if it were outside of that, my question to them would be, well, if if you if you believe that this is the case, have you considered uh, being received into the Catholic Church? Because again, we don't, uh, you know, today there's a tendency to level everything that it doesn't make any difference what you believe and, you know, you can go here or there. Well, no, that's not, for a Catholic faith, there is a commitment to uh, an obedience of faith to what the church believes and teaches from Christ. And we respect that of our members and we respect that of the of members of other churches and ecclesial communities. Allie from West Hartford says President Biden has called on Americans to get vaccinated against the coronavirus, saying that Pope Francis has called vaccination a, quote, moral obligation. Despite both Pope Francis and the president asking the public to get vaccinated, there's still much hesitancy. Can you talk for a moment about why receiving the vaccine is of utmost importance? And I think this is a question I'd like to address to both of you. Well, we all have a duty in charity to promote the common good. And the, the church has made it very clear, the highest authorities in the church, not only Pope Francis, but in previous discussions of this, that vaccines under these conditions, are there's no, nothing morally objectionable to receiving vaccines. And that includes vaccines that have a very remote connection to cell lines that may have had some origin in aborted uh, abortion. Uh, so that should not be an obstacle. Now, you have this obligation for the common good to protect the health of others as well as your own to get this shot. However, uh, individual people may have their own medical qualms or, or situation or something else that they feel or, or, or they're, they're not free to get it or they're afraid to get it. I can't say I'm going to condemn them, mm-hmm. but I would urge them uh, to, 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 to get the vaccine for the sake of, of protecting other people and for the common good. Monsignor Shanley, I don't know if you'd want to... No, I agree. It's it's all about the common good, and sometimes we have to put our own you know, fears or whatever aside to help the rest of society. It's not all about us, and it's not all about individuals. It's about trying to preserve the whole society and make sure that people don't continue to suffer from COVID. Have you heard of any hesitancy on the part of priests um, choosing not to be vaccinated? There is some hesitancy. I think people are exploring it as well, but I'm hoping that the priests themselves even recognize the common good and that they're called to a life of service and self-sacrifice. It's not all about them. It's all about God's people. And I might add, I think Monsignor can correct me if I'm wrong, but the overwhelming majority of our priests no. are vaccinated. Uh, so that's not, uh, that's not an, uh, an issue. And, you know, how the world has changed. Uh, Father John, when you and I were kids and polio was raging in the United States uh-huh. and the SALT vaccine came out, Nobody, uh, there was no big uh, protest or, or or any kind of um, movement to to against vaccines. They simply, for the common good, we all got them. Uh, maybe I'm naive. Sure. Maybe there were, and I, we don't know about it. But I don't think so. But today, everybody has become so hesitant and so afraid of everything. Uh, and I'm not. When I say that, I'm not making a judgment. Maybe some people have legitimate uh, fears or whatever. But I. But the bottom line is, there's nothing in Catholic faith that should prevent anyone from getting one of these vaccines. 
One quick question before we close our program. Mitch from Enfield says, how should a person share the gospel with others? I want to do my part in spreading God's word, but don't know where to start. Well, I'll let Monsignor Shanley have the last word on this one. I've been talking enough. Well, I think one part that they can all, everybody can start is in their own parish community or even in their own family. When people ask a question like that, there must be some impetus already that they're feeling the stirring of the Holy Spirit to go out and be a witness, to be a disciple of Jesus. By the way they live, the decisions they make, how they spend their money, how they spend their time, and bring people to some deeper faith in the risen Christ, which we celebrate during this Easter season. Every parish has countless opportunities for people to get involved, even if it's something relatively simple or well-organized, like assisting at a food pantry or cooking at a shelter, or people are more confident and able to share their faith and discuss the Bible, enter into Bible study, take place in prayer groups and things like that. So hopefully during the Easter season, as we get ready toward Pentecost too, the Holy Spirit will inspire more people to be better disciples, including ourselves. There you go. I well couldn't said. give a better answer myself. Well said, both of you. And I want to thank both of you. Archbishop, we've come to the end of our program. Can you close the program with a prayer and a blessing, please? Lord God, in the joy of this Easter season, even as we face many challenges in our society and uh, in our health, nevertheless, we turn to you in full confidence, knowing that Jesus Christ is the conqueror of sin and death. He is truly risen. He is our life, our salvation, and our hope. And we pray that by a deeper faith uh, and uh, putting that faith into practice every day, we may one day ourselves come to share in the glory of that risen life uh, for which we were created in the joy and the beauty and the goodness of your presence in heaven. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Archbishop, thank you very much for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner, and thank you for bringing along Monsignor Jim Shanley, the Vicar for Priests of the Archdiocese of Hartford. I hope to see you both again soon sometime. Archbishop, we'll see you next week. You might want to bring Monsignor Shanley along with you again. Who knows? <laughs>